pulpit on their mic. Get plugged in. <laughs> How about come down here? Nope. No pulpit mic. Yeah. Good morning. There we go. Welcome to Community Baptist Church. When you've got your worship uh, bulletin, you'll notice that there's a reception this afternoon for Dr. Dunaway and Jane. Uh, they're relocating to Huntsville, Alabama. That's from two to four, and we'd like everyone, if you could, come by and uh, wish them well. Also today, there's a deacons meeting today at five. Tomorrow, you'll note, there are worship and finance committee meetings, and we have a business meeting this Wednesday, this Wednesday evening. Um, we are in need of Sunday school teachers for a middle school group and for first and second grade. If you know of anyone or you yourself are interested in helping out with that, let us know. We'd like to welcome Summer Bennett today, who's here. This is Mary's niece, and she's playing for Jika today. And we're also glad to have Pastor Tim and his family back for vacation. Now let's stand and uh, greet everyone and extend the hand of fellowship.
Come on down, children. Herb's waiting on you. Well, good morning. Good morning, you all. Before I start the children's sermon, my wife was a good Samaritan yesterday, and a black dog showed up in front of our house. So if anybody is missing a black dog of about 30 pounds that looks like a cross between a poodle and a cocker spaniel, we got him. He's a good dog. And if any, but uh, she's been watching the lost and found and everything else, but she bathed him just like the, the, the good Samaritan did, you know, and fixed his eyes and, you know, everything. Uh, so at any rate, my wife... My wife. Yeah, I'm looking for her. I'm talking nice about you now. Um, so my wife gave me an, an object lesson of the Good Samaritan yesterday. As she, she did exactly what the Good Samaritan did. But we're going to talk about another animal today. You know it's Herb, and I'm going to have to talk about animals. Because animals, like all of God's creation, have so much to teach us if we just watch them. We're going to talk about the biggest mammal on the planet. I think it's the biggest. What's the biggest mammal on the planet? Do you all know? A whale. A humpback whale. That's one breaching right there. They go up to about 50 tons. Now that's 100,000 pounds. No, well I guess they don't let any trucks or trailers more than 80,000 pounds on the road. So you think of the biggest truck you've ever seen on the road, and that's not as big as a humpback whale. Those are big, big animals. And generally, they live in the ocean, thank goodness. They don't go on the highway or anything like big trucks. And they're generally harmless. They just eat little plankton in their little teeth and everything. They're generally harmless. But even as big as they are, they can get into trouble. And I'm going to tell you a story about a whale that got into trouble and what happened. This whale that I'm going to tell you about was making the run up the Pacific Ocean. And when they got about around San Francisco, the whale got tangled up in a bunch of crab pots and ropes and everything. And it was all over the whale. And those crab pots and weights are big. And it started weighing the whale down. And it got to where it could barely surface to get air because they breathe like we do. Oh, they live, live in the ocean. And in fact, it got so bad, a bunch of them were in their teeth through the mouth. And somebody happened to see it and radioed for help. So people went out and they said, oh, the, it's so tangled up, there's no way we can get all these ropes off. So divers jumped in the water and tried to start cutting the ropes off the whale. Now, when you're around a 50-ton animal, if it does like that with its flipper, you know, you go a long, long way. It can knock you crazy. But the whale seemed to realize that people were helping it. So it laid in the water, and gradually, slowly but surely, they cut all the ropes off and the, until the whale was free. One guy had to get right next to the whale's mouth and cut the rope out of the whale's mouth. Reaching in, cut the rope out. Yeah. 
And the whale's eye was just looking at him the entire time. Didn't move at all. And finally, when all the ropes were cut off, rather than swimming away, the whale did something totally unexpected. It went up to each diver and gently caressed it and went to the next and went to the next and went to the next until every diver had been caressed by the whale and then it went off. And they think what the whale was doing was saying, thank you for saving me. Now the preacher is going to talk today about the Good Samaritan. And he's going to tell us a couple of things. Well, he's tell us a bunch of things. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know. But I think the two, two lessons I get from this story, number one, we Christians are supposed to help people get untangled from the things that weigh them down, that they have no control over. And we Christians are supposed to help people get untangled from the things that bind them down and hold them down and keep them from, breath from breathing and living the life that God wants us to lead. And the second thing that we're supposed to do is realize what God has done and be grateful. Just like the whale was grateful to the people, we're supposed to be grateful for the things that God gives us every day and thank him for it. And if we do that, I think we've done a lot of what God wants us to do. Thank you all. You all can go back to your seats now and remember the whale, okay?
Good morning. If you have brought your copy of God's Word, would you please find it? We're reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning. I know the words are printed on the screen, but it's always better if you can hold God's Word in your hand. The Gospel of Luke can be found in the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament break God's Word. The New Testament is where we can find uh, the stories of Jesus after his birth. The Gospel of Luke is the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We'll be reading from the 10th chapter. I'll give you time to find it if you want to find it in your own copy of your own Bible. And we're reading from the 25th verse through the 37th verse. Just then a lawyer stood up to the test, Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you what more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day, and we're thankful for this church, and we're thankful for the blessings. We would ask you to forgive us of our sins where we fail you. Bless these tithes and offerings, and be with uh, Dr. Hobbs as he brings us our message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Summer. You are such a blessing to us, and we're grateful for you. Uh, and uh, we're glad to be back in town. Um, uh, it was good to be away and have a little time of relaxation, and, uh, but it's also good to be back home and to be with, with God's people here at Community Baptist Church. So we're glad for that as well. We're talking about the, um, uh, the 
the Good Samaritan today, and um, there was a Sunday school teacher who was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan one Sunday, and and she told about how the man was was beaten and robbed and left for dead, and and she described the situation in, in vivid detail so that her students could catch the drama of this event. And then she asked her class, if you saw a person lying on the side of the road, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? Well, there was a hushed silence for a moment. And, and then the silence was finally broken as a thoughtful little girl spoke up and she said, I think I'd throw up. Well, she was being honest, wasn't she? And, and truth be told, there there are a lot of adults who do not respond very well to a, a horrifying situa- situation like this either. In New York City, a mailman who had been shot by a sniper was ordered to leave a building lobby because he was dripping blood on their marble floor. In Oklahoma City, a woman gave birth unexpectedly on the sidewalk as bystanders ter- standards turned their head and, and ignored her. A taxi driver looked at her and then sped away, and a nearby hotel refused to provide her with a blanket. In Dayton, Ohio, a dozen people saw a woman drive her car into the Miami River, and they watched indifferently as this woman climbed onto the roof of the car and screamed that she couldn't swim. The woman drowned. My friend, so many incidents like this have happened that newspapers have a special file tabbed apathy. And then we come to this beautiful story from the Gospel of Luke. An expert of the law stood up to test Jesus and he asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What is written in the law and how do you read it? So the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. However, Luke tells us that this expert in the law wanted to justify himself. And I think that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? You're telling me to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? And in response to that, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of all of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him lying there, he passed by on the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan came to where the man was lying. And when he saw him there, he took pity upon him. And he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He medicated them with oil and wine. He put put the man on his own donkey and, and took him to an inn. And there he took care of it. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after this man. And when I come back... I will reimburse you anything that you spend. 
And then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? So the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. My friends, as I look at this time-honored story of the Good Samaritan, I see that there are three basic attitudes about life that can be found here. Three basic attitudes that are present in almost every human situation. And here's the first one. First of all, we have the lawyer who asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And his attitude was basically this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Now, I want you to think about his question to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking what he must do to build a better world. He's not even asking what he must do to be a better person. All he's interested in is finding out what he must do to get into heaven. Luke suggests that the expert in the law is is asking this to test Jesus. But I suspect there's more to it than that, that, that he had his own agenda here. The lawyer's question wasn't about how to please God. It wasn't about how to live a righteous life. He only wanted to know what was on the entrance exam in order to get through the pearly gates. The lawyer suspects that Jesus has some kind of special insight on how to evade the finality of death. And so he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's perfectly natural for us to want to go to heaven. Anybody here want to go to heaven? Oh, good. I think it's almost unanimous. It's natural for us to, to want to go to heaven. And, and no healthy person wants to die. But, but folks, listen to this. If this is the sum total of our faith, then we are a long way away from the abundant life that Christ desires for us. And I say this realizing that, that this may be the reason that most people come to faith. With that same question, what's in it for me? We want to go to heaven. Perfectly natural. But this is only the beginning of our obsession with our own needs. When we get sick, we want to know that there's someone out there who, who we can turn to in, in prayer and pray for, for our health. And when we worry about our family, if, if being religious means that God will look out for our family, then it's a small price to pay. Nobody says it quite that crassly, but perhaps as many as 90% of all Christians basically come to the faith asking, what's in it for me? It's very human. But it's also very far from the heart of Christ. Notice again that when Jesus answers the lawyer's question he, by telling him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself... The lawyer seeks to justify himself. And he does that by asking the question, but who is my neighbor? You've told me to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? I love that phrase, 
seeking to justify himself. This expert in the law, he knew full well what the Jewish law required of him. To love God and to love his neighbor. But he also knew that he had not lived up to that law. So what does he do? Well, he did what you and I do all the time. He seeks to justify himself. Folks, it happens all the time. We do it almost every day of our lives. We seek to justify our actions or our inactions. We, we pass by a homeless person on the street and we ignore that person as he's asking for some spare change and we feel guilty inside and so we immediately start to justify ourselves. Oh, he'll just spend it on alcohol or drugs, we say to ourselves. Our neighbor has some tragedy of some kind and, and we know that we ought to stop by and to offer some encouragement, but we, but we start to justify ourselves. I'm sure that he has some family or, or friends that will look in on him. You see, this lawyer, he's a nice, respectable guy. And he's going to do all right for himself in life, but, but he'll never be what God ultimately wants him to be if he can't escape that essential attitude of what's in it for me. What can I get out of this? And now I'm going to ask you a very difficult question today. One of one that may take some serious soul searching. And here's the question. Do you see yourself in these lawyers perspective on life? Do you see yourself here? I have to confess that that all too often I see myself here and it's even possible to do good works with the overall intention of padding our spiritual resumes, if you will. It's called enlightened self-interest. And, and there's nothing really wrong with it. It's, it's, just, it's just not where God wants us to be. But that's the first attitude reflected in this story. The attitude of the lawyer. What's in it for me? Second attitude is expressed by the religious professionals in this story. The priests and the, and the Levite. And their attitude is basically, not my problem. Not my problem. And this is a growing attitude in our society today. It's not my problem. Army Major Odie Butler was on his way to work at the Pentagon one morning when he came across a, a terrible automobile accident on Interstate 365 or 395. A man had lost control of his truck and crashed and he had landed on the side of the road inside of the interstate. He was critically injured. And all of this happened, of course, during the morning rush hour. But no one stopped to help. Butler stopped and he ministered to this man. And as he was ministering to this man, other drivers on the interstate would, would drive by and they'd roll down their windows and scream at him. They would honk their horns at him. They would make obscene gestures at him. They were upset that this wreck was slowing down their morning commute. Butler tried desperately to get someone to call for an ambulance, but, but those drivers who were not hostile to him were mostly indifferent. 
And I'm sure that there were, were many conscientious people who passed by that scene that morning. And they knew that they should have stopped. But, and surely some of them were, were justifying themselves as they drove by. I'm late for work. I'll get my dress dirty. Somebody else will surely stop. Somebody who doesn't have the responsibilities that I have. Not my problem. Certainly the priests and the Levite who passed by this battered man in our story were busy men. They were religious men. They were probably very conscientious in their service to the Lord, but they did not apply their spiritual knowledge to the real needs of the world. And I'm afraid to say that in many instances, this is the curse of my vocation. There are so many ministers of the gospel who are more comfortable with the, the ivory tower aspect of studying and teaching that they rarely get their hands dirty with the real needs of the world. Can you see the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side? And in their minds they were justifying themselves. And they were probably saying things like. Surely somebody else will be by in a little while. They can look after this poor guy. This isn't my calling. This isn't my problem. Some of you may remember the famous Good Samaritan research done by some researchers at Princeton University back in the 1970s. In this study, there was a group of seminary students at Princeton who were told that they were to go across campus to deliver a sermon on the topic of the Good Samaritan. And as a part of this research, some of the students were told that, that they were late and they needed to hurry up and get over to the chapel. And they believed that there would be people waiting for them there. But along the route that these seminary students traveled across the campus, the researchers had hired an actor to play the role of a victim who was lying on the ground, coughing and suffering. And, and here's the amazing thing that came out of this research. 90% of the seminary students who were on their way to deliver a sermon on the Good Samaritan ignored the needs of this suffering person right in front of them in their haste to get across the campus. Now, these seminary students were not bad people. Like most of us, they were simply self-involved. A man having a heart attack was not on their agenda. They were more concerned about doing good in the abstract than they were in the real world. And it's not only clergy people, he says, seeking to justify himself. <laughs> it's an increasing part of our complex society. Because, folks, there are so, so very many real needs in the world. And sometimes we can get overwhelmed with the needs around us. But here's what's important. We need to see that because we are connected to one another in God's family, their problems are our problems. 
And we can't ignore that. The first attitude is, what's in it for me? The second attitude, not my problem. But then finally, here we have the Samaritan. And his attitude is, what can I do to help? You know, we could spend so much time dissecting this story and expounding on the fact that the person in the story who needed the help was was undoubtedly a Jew. And and the Jews and the Samaritans despised one another. They couldn't get along. It was kind of like the Israelis in the and and Gaza um, uh, today. And, and and that's significant, of course. However, it may be that the Samaritan never even stopped to think about that. Somehow he was programmed so that that when he saw another person in need, whoever that person may be, he responded. He didn't rationalize the situation in order to justify himself. He simply acted and he did what needed to be done. And folks, I thank God that there are still people in the world like that today. Some of them right here in this congregation. People who see a need and they take the bulls by the horns and they do something to meet that need. I was reading a while back about Dr. William McGee. He's a plastic surgeon in Norfolk, Virginia. Seems that back in 1981, Dr. McGee traveled to the Philippines to operate on children with, with cleft lips and other facial deformities. And, uh, and these deformities will often uh, hinder a child from eating or, or speaking and and, uh, and, and so this is a very serious thing for them. But, but unfortunately, when he went to the Philippines, there were so many children with, with this deformity that, that hundreds had to be turned away. He just did not have time to, to do all of the surgeries that were necessary. And so this prompted Dr. McGee and his wife to found an organization called Operation Smile. And this organization sends volunteer doctors to perform reconstructive facial surgery for children all over the world. It wasn't a strategic plan, said McGee. It was just a a matter of emotion and passion to make sure that children didn't have to live like this. The group has already treated over 50,000 children across the the world. And and it also trains doctors in other nations to perform these procedures. And McGee eventually hopes to use satellite technology so that he can teach a greater number of doctors the the necessary techniques to, to solve this problem. But let's think about this for just a minute. Dr. McGee didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do this. This did not advance his career at all. He could have justified himself. He could have said, what's in it for me? There are so many children in my own town whose parents have insurance that that they can pay for this surgery. And I'm a big, busy doctor here. I don't have to go halfway around the world to minister to indigent children. Not my problem. But he didn't do that, did he? And I doubt that Dr. McGee even wondered if his act of service would would get him into heaven. He simply saw a need and he filled it. Three attitudes. What's in it for me? Not my problem. Or how can I help? Where do you stand this morning?
Which attitude dominates your life? What's in it for me? Not my problem? Or what can I do to help? I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, I would really like to be more like the Good Samaritan. And, and I get tired of my own excuses. I get, I get tired of justifying my own inaction. But, but I'm not sure, even if I wanted to change, that I could. I've been this way too long. And I'm not making excuses this time, Pastor. I, I just don't think it's possible for me to start reacting in a different way to these situations that come to me. And, and, I, and I think that in order for me to have that, that radical of a change in my life, I would have to be born all over again. Well, there's the issue. There it is right there. And maybe that's what all of us need. As a matter of fact, I believe as a Christian, you know, we, we make a lot about being a born-again Christian. But I think being born-again is not something you do once in your life. It's something you have to do time after time after time in your life. Because we all need that in order to have the heart of Jesus Christ. We need to be born all over again. And in doing that, we are able to see the world in a whole new way. We take on the mind of Christ who became a human being. And not only a human being, but as it says in Philippians, he became a servant for others. And that says a lot to us about who Jesus is. And it says a lot to us about who Jesus wants us to be. And so, let us all pray that God will give us the heart of the Master. So that any time we see someone in need, our first response will not be, what's in it for me? Will not be, not my problem. But it will always be, what can I do to help? For you see, this is the way of the Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response, number 502. Open my eyes that I may see. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, folks. We're talking about opening our eyes because we get so involved in our human worlds and everything that we have to do and all the responsibilities that we have. And, and sometimes we put on our blinders to the things around us that that. That we need to be seeing. But we can't see it because we've chosen not to. And that includes our relationship with God. Because folks, I want to tell you something. Your relationship with God is a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But as you take on a relationship with God, you're also taking on responsibilities for others. And that means a lot of hard work as well. But we need to open our eyes that we may see that. And that's what we're calling you to do today. We're giving you an opportunity to respond by saying, I'm opening my eyes to the ways of the Lord. And I do want to take on the mind of Christ. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like the Good Samaritan. And I want to be the servant that God has called us to be. Because I know that there are needs out there. And I can't fill them all, but I can do what I can do.
the best I can do. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, we invite you to do it today. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of, we invite you to come unite with our church. Or maybe you just need to come and, and have a time of prayer. We invite you as we sing together, open my eyes that I may see, number 502, would you come? Thank you for your presence with us today. I want to remind you and invite you come, to come back this afternoon. Somewhere between 2 and 4, we're having a reception for Dr. and Mrs. Dunaway as they will be moving to uh, Huntsville, Alabama very, very soon. And uh, we'll uh, miss them, and we want to, this opportunity to say goodbye and to uh, tell them how much they, they mean to us. So uh, that'll be between 2 and 4 this afternoon, and I uh, hope everybody can be back for that. Let us pray together. Thank you, O oh God, for the blessings that you give to us each day and for the example of this good Samaritan who shows us the way to truly have the mind of Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, as we struggle towards that. And we know that we are not perfect. We have not arrived there yet. But help us along the way, O oh God, that we would not try to justify ourselves, ourselves so much, but that we would truly when we see someone in need, ask ourselves, what can I do to help? Because that is the love of God that we are called to express in our own lives in the same way it has been given to us. So go with us, O oh God. Go with us in your strength and in your love and inspire us to love others in your name. Amen.
Thank you.